The podcast that you're listening to is being presented to you with the cooperation of the SJ Network. If you're a person who needs a publicist and you want to appear on podcasts, contact Stephen Joyner at s-j-network.com. Let's get on with the show. Today, on the Sherpa Screening Room, we'll be hearing from Stephen Adam Rinkovich, the director of The Awakening of Lilith. He's won several awards from various independent film festivals. Unfortunately, I'm not allowed in movie theaters, because once I brought my own food. That sounds so unfair. What type of food did you bring to get in trouble? Honestly, I don't remember. But I guess they had to draw the line at the chocolate fountain. Attention, rebels of the Sherpolution. Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. We would like to give you a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial, simply by heading to www.audibletrial.com Sherpa. There are over 180,000 titles of audiobooks and podcasts, including this one, to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. And now, the one and only Mr. Bruce will lead you into the Sherpa Chalet. As a reminder, you can only bring one mountain lion at a time on the elevator. Coming to you from Sherpa Chalet in beautiful downtown Mount Podcastia, it's time for entertainment interviews in the Sherpa Screening Room. Grab an aisle seat and a bucket of popcorn, but don't crunch too loud or you'll miss the show. Now, here's your host, Jim, the podcast Sherpa. Hello there, Rebels, and welcome to the Sherpa Screening Room. It is a production of Too Many Podcasts, the podcast about podcasts. And for those of you who are familiar with the show, who haven't come around to these kind of episodes, these are when I get to speak to folks who are creators, people in the entertainment business, you know, singers, actors, directors, writers, producers, people with interesting occupations, you know, all sorts of folks. And I do have a director today. His name is Stephen Adam Rankovich. And the name of his movie, which actually came out last year, is called The Awakening of Lilith. It's an indie film, and it's been nominated for a lot of awards in film festivals. And it's a really fascinating movie. It's very dark, I must say, to be perfectly honest with you. I got to watch it. Stephen sent me a link, and I checked out the movie, and I did watch it, and we got to talk about it. And we got to talk about his career and his life as a filmmaker, and also the importance of film festivals. He had a lot of interesting stuff to say here, so have a listen to my interview with Mr. Stephen Adam Rankovich. Hello there, Rebels, and welcome to the Sherpa Screening Room. My guest today is Stephen Adam Rankovich. He is the creator of several movies, such as Fugue, 401 Rogers, A Beautiful Silence, and most recently, The Awakening of Lilith. A lot of indie films that have been nominated for awards and Go into sometimes the dark side of the human psyche, I guess. But he's here. I'm not going to put words in his mouth. Adam, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Now, you were originally a, a film critic. Yeah, I started out in high school, of all places, do, writing film reviews for the, for the Daily Drip, the, the weekly school paper. Okay. And... Um, and so it started there as as I was younger. And then as I got older, I started writing 
reviews for the local newspaper that easily progress mm-hmm. and went to college, um, studied broadcast media. And then fast forward to 2008, I took an internship in Georgia at a production company called Art Within Productions, which is led by Mr. Brian Coley. And I just, I learned a lot there just about, um, just the screenwriting process. I read a bunch of scripts, uh, did a lot of research. And while I was there, I was also working on the screenplay for what would eventually become the awakening of Lilith. And, but in between that time and and now um, I had been, I I made uh, two short films, uh, a beautiful silent and fugue. And then I did a experimental documentary about my grandparents' home called 401 Rogers. As I was writing the screenplay for Fugue, I lost one of my dearest friends to suicide. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a young man named Tristan, and we were very, very close. Um, and before that, a couple of years previous, I lost my mentor to suicide as well. So it was just two different catastrophic events in my life that kind of, it really kind of tore me apart. Uh And after Tristan, um, I just uh, decided to take everything that I was feeling and put it into a screenplay and and try to turn it into art, try to do something with it as part of sort of like therapy. It's funny because when I started working on the screenplay for Lilith in 2008, it was vastly different um, than what it ended up being. Because after um, after a while, I just kind of tossed everything else out and started from scratch, and it turned into what it is today. And so that's kind of how that came about as far as the origins of it, um, the origins of the project. Did uh, Fugue and... Beautiful Silence, Did, didn't they kind of go into the same themes that are in The Awakening of Lilith? Beautiful Silence was my first sh- like serious short film. Up until then, I had done a lot of playful things that, you know, while I was at college, just goofing off and learning um, different filmmaking techniques and, you know, nothing that I would ever send to a festival. Okay. So um, by the time I got around to awaken, uh, to A Beautiful Silence, I was going through a sort of crisis of faith. Um, And so uh, Beautiful Silence sort of dealt with that journey of um, the loss of faith and and kind of deconstructing and turning that into something else. And so that, uh, I guess you could say thematically, they're sort of similar because Mm -hmm. they sort of deal with different grieving processes. Right. Um, and then when few came along, I remember I had this, um, I had the script and, um, I had been kind of retooling it a little bit. And then not too long after, uh, Tristan's passing, we went into fugue and, and it sort of laid the foundation, um, that would ultimately become Lilith. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was just the groundwork. Basically, I wanted to work with something, um, sort of small scale to kind of dip my toe into that that world and, and sort of familiarize myself with it before I dove into a feature film um, about and, and expanded on it. So 
Yeah, thematically, they're they're similar in a lot of ways, but I, ultimately, I think The Awakening of Lilith is by far my most personal work yet because there, there are things in it, um, lines of dialogue that came right out of my of some of the journals that I keep that I've kept over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it just sort of, it really was, like I said, again, like very therapeutic, the making of it, the structuring of it and the screenplay format, and then ultimately uh, prepping it to be filmed. And, and that was a whole journey in and of itself. In The Awakening of Lilith, everything goes kind of inward with her. Yeah, she's She's been through a traumatic experience and, we're seeing things that, that that she's well perceiving and that they're not really actually happening because I guess her guilt or uh, not so much guilt, her mourning is closing in on her, right? Is that, is that kind of the, what you wanted to convey? Definitely. And I also wanted to, to sort of address, you know, when we've been through situations that are that traumatic, mm-hmm. sometimes we sort of, do the best that we can to wish them away and to sort of change the reality or shift the reality. And I think what she's doing in this film is basically taking the, taking the reality of the situation and, and twisting it and altering it in her mind to where it's, it is something completely different and she has bought into it. And it's just sort of like a defense mechanism in order to cope and and to move on, she has concocted this alternate reality. And throughout the film, you're not sure what you're seeing. You're not sure whether you're seeing what actually happened or what she has concocted in her mind, or maybe a little bit of both because it does start to blend together. Um, and I think when you're in the midst of a terrible grief, you know, even on a smaller scale, um, even if it's not as extreme as what Lilith goes through, it's definitely something that, I've caught myself doing in my weaker moments. And, and so I really, that really um, fascinated me. And I did a lot of research and kind of went inward a little bit. And so, yeah, there are a lot of layers there that, you know, and it's funny because I wrote it and I directed it, but, you know, when you're in the middle of the, of the filmmaking process and when you're working on such a limited budget um, with the constraints that we had, you do have to sort of make, um, you have to alter it a little bit and sort of bring it down to what what it is that you can do on the set for that day. And maybe something that you wrote in the script isn't working out and you need to sort of uh, scale it down a little bit. And it's funny because in the midst of that, um, even when I look at Lilith now, I see things that maybe I subconsciously put in there at the moment that kind of work so well within the final film Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't realize it maybe until when I was sitting down editing it for the fifth millionth time (laughs) you just sort of notice these things it's really funny because you can surprise yourself with your own work (laughs) and uh, I noticed that happened a lot during this I was like oh I didn't realize that I sort of subtly said this or did that but it you know it's funny how that happens and I think Honestly, with the style of film that this is, since it doesn't follow a traditional narrative structure, um, you have a lot more freedom to do that and to experiment and to get into the psychology of the character. So it was that that was interesting. 
Could you talk a little bit about the darkness? I mean, the first thing people will notice when they see this movie, it is very dark. I mean, uh, a good portion of the film, Lilith is seen either in darkness or even in shadow. There's very little bright lights on her. And even in some of the rooms that she goes in, it's it's lit by candlelight. But I know you, you had written that that was actually intentional. Oh, yes, definitely. We wanted to shroud her in as much darkness as we possibly could to sort of reflect her her mental state at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And the thing, there's a a sort of a conceit in the film where Lilith doesn't differentiate day from night. Like it's all a blur to her in her mind. You know, you'll see her in certain scenes. There are clearly candles lit that are on the table but you can tell that there's light outside. And I really wanted to, that was interesting to me because it sort of, we kind of catch her in this limbo where she's just sort of trapped in her own mind. And they're literally, you know, even though there's light plainly to see outside, you can see it with your own eyes. Lilith can't. And so I really wanted to, to um, convey that, like, you know, when you're in the deepest depression, you know, it doesn't matter if, you know, you look outside and the sun is shining bright. Sometimes all you can feel, all you can see is just the darkness in those times. Mm-hmm. So visually, I wanted to convey that. And Tommy was really good. I told I'm colorblind for one thing. OK, so I told my DP, Thomas Springer, who is a wonderful, wonderful uh, cinematographer and a wonderful person. I told him, I said, I want it to have like a rustic sort of um, woodsy look all throughout the movie, because you, you know, there's a lot of the, the woodsy footage, the exteriors. Right. And when she goes into these fugue states and I kind of, I wanted the whole film to kind of her whole world. I wanted to, I wanted that to sort of carry over into the, um, into the color grade. And so, yeah, it is a very like literally dark film, you know, uh, but, you know, near the end, I really wanted, like, I, it was most important to me and to Brittany, my lead actress, and um, I call her my sister from another mister. We've known each other for years. <laughs> um, and I, it was very important to us um, that we did not leave things on a down note at the end of the film. Now, it's very subtle, but there is hope there to me because... Um, I wanted to leave a tinge of hope at the end of this film. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, you know, going into it, that's just been my experience. I mean, the struggles that I've had with depression, the struggles that I've had with grief, they have not left me a completely broken person. I have healed. And so I wanted to be true to that experience. And uh, but I didn't want to tie a big red bow on it either. Mm-hmm. So that was really important to me. I, I, since you brought her up uh, now, Brittany, Renee, uh, you've actually worked with her for a, a couple of other projects too, right? Oh, Brittany's been in everything that I've ever done. <laughs> Brittany is basically, she's like my biological sister, Ashley. Like they're both like two of the most ride or die women that you could ever hope to meet. They're fiercely just loyal. And Brittany is so talented. I mean, it runs in our family. So mm-hmm. A lot of her family is just very artistically, um, they've been very successful. And so just to put her in a role like this and to see what she could do, it floored me. There are several scenes 
within this because she carries the whole movie basically. Mm-hmm. So, but there are so many, there, there are at least um, three or four scenes that really stand out to me. And at the end of the day, I was like, Whoa, didn't I, I, I knew that you, I knew that you could do it, but I didn't know you could do that, <laughs> you know? And it really, I'm so proud of her. I'm so proud of her. And some of your family was involved in making the movie as well, right? Yeah, we had, okay. So we had um, my mom and dad and sister, of course, they all helped out. Um, My sister for Christmas got me the laptop that I ended up editing the movie on. Um, And mom was an extra and dad visited the set and helped us. There was a whole scene that ended up on the cutting room floor. Dad came in and helped us out with, but like, it was so beautiful the way that this film came together with the people that were involved because it was an all volunteer project. And I was very upfront with everybody about that starting out. Um, and we just kind of went for it. And, and so we connected with Justin who played Noah, Justin Livingston, mm-hmm. who was phenomenal. Um, he came in, I, I, I saw his audition and called him right afterwards. And we met um, and we we spoke and he really got the character of Noah and he and Brittany, we all met up and they did a read through or a table read of one of the scenes between the two of them. And he got it immediately. And then Mary, who played Lilith's mother, um, Mary Miles Coco Tech, um, another fabulous, wonderful person. She came in and, and, you know, we had never met before. She showed up on the set, did the scene. And now we're all, we're all just like one big film family now. And it's beautiful. And I can't wait to work with them again. I want to work with the same people all my life. Kind of like Ingmar Bergman did. That's what I want to do. I just want to work with the same people over and over again. (laughs) Hey, you know, if you give them different scenarios, it's, you know, it's not too far-fetched an idea. Yeah, it's really not because I, they're so versatile. Like every single one of them, Brittany, Mary, Justin, they're, they're so incredibly talented and can pull off so many different roles. And, you know, of course I'll bring new people into the fold, but like, there's just, I'm very, I'm very much about film family. Like, you know, when I, I don't want it to be about ego or this or that. I want us to all feel like a family that came together and created a work of art something that we can all be proud of. And I, you know, this was just a life-changing experience. Mm-hmm. And, you know, especially with Thomas Springer coming on board as our cinematographer, I mean, it literally would not have happened had it not been for Tommy. I mean, Tommy um, connected with me through Facebook Messenger and told me that he he really wanted to help. And he was like, I just, I really want to help you out, man. And, you know, see your dreams come true. And he brought his rig down from Charlotte and, I mean, it was just the the way that it came together was miraculous. And I will always be thankful for it. I guess it's probably any other director would agree with you that when you're surrounded by people that you know you can trust and you can just, you know, get they'll get put into a project, you can get a good sense of how everything is going to work out and how everybody's going to work together as well. Oh, yeah. And, you know, of course, we'll face challenges, but, you know, we never had anyone you know, with the diva behavior stomping around the set, you know, or anything like that, you know, of course they were all working for free, but you know, it was, it was like when when you can, when you can foster that sense of family and community, that to me 
because I'm a big family person. So like that to me is the most important thing. And if you can do, if you can have that and then create together, that's heaven on earth to me. Like that's how I want to go out. I want to go out on set when, when, you know, when I go home to my maker, you know, I want to be on set with my film family doing what I love. (laughs) Your last words give me, that's a wrap. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Exactly. So how would you describe the movies that you do? I mean, would you call them like, like psychological thrillers? Would would you have a more specific term for? I see. You know, the funny thing about Lilith is that when, you know, to me, it is a, it is a drama. Like it's a psychological drama. Okay. But there are definite horror undertones in it. And, you know, I get, I pull my influences from Ingmar Bergman, David Lynch, um, Andre Julowski, who, who made Possession. I'm pretty sure I'm butchering his name, but I, that, that his work um, and Terrence Malick. But, but then like in the middle of making Fugue, in a beautiful silence before Lilith, I kind of found my own voice as well. So it's funny, you know, you can borrow from other filmmakers and find yourself at the same time. So I think Lilith was like the perfect culmination of all of that. But uh, as far as the genre, to me, it will always be a drama, like a psychological drama, but it gets a lot of play at horror film festivals. And I'm totally fine with that. I've had people compare it to Ordinary People, which surprised the hell out of me. Ordinary People, uh, Hereditary. um, Somebody uh, brought up American Beauty or The Ice Storm or something like that. And it's just, just, you know, interesting to hear how different people read it. Some people read it as a horror film, um, but other people are incredibly moved by it. And I mean... You can be moved by a horror film. You know, right. it can happen. I've seen, you know, like The Babadook, you know, another film that deals with, you know, just overwhelming grief. They, they, they turned it into a sort of a horror film as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I just think it sort of reaches across different genres in its own way and kind of tra- transcends and subverts all that. But um, to me, it will always be a drama, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so one scene that everyone, everyone keeps coming back to is the Bible study scene when, when she goes to the Bible study when and the friends put their hands on yeah, her. Yeah. Oh yeah. That one gets everybody. That's when a lot of people start saying, Oh, this is a horror film, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I get that. Well, that was a fun day of shooting. So, um, that was pre COVID like COVID started like maybe a week or two after we wrapped. Oh, wow. Uh, I spent most of COVID, most of the pandemic editing. And then once things sort of calmed down, then Tommy came down and he color graded it for me because I'm colorblind. Okay. You know, uh, it's interesting when you're saying that people comparing it to a horror movie, even though there's there's no monster, there's no demon in, in this movie. But I guess, you know, between grief and what can go on in people's mind when you know, things maybe like the walls are starting to cave in. It does really kind of give that same sort of mood as a horror movie does. Oh yeah. Definitely. You know, I, I guess that's really where the, where the tie in is. It's kind of like that. Um, just that claustrophobia, I guess that you can feel in your, in your mind. And um, another 
film that I was, oh, another person brought up Rosemary's Baby. And I was like, okay. It's <laughs> <laughs> so like, I'll take it. <laughs> hey, it's a good movie, right? You know? <laughs> it is. And you know, Lansky dealt with claustrophobia a lot. Like if you, if you see Repulsion, if you see, you know, Rosemary's Baby or Knife in the Water, just these really claustrophobic psychological situations mm-hmm. that are very small scale, but they feel really, really big. Um, so I can, I can understand that. Um, and of course, just, I think one of the biggest influences for me, as far as Lilith is concerned, was, um, a film from Ingmar Bergman called Hour the Wolf. And, um, Max von Sydow plays a, uh, a painter who is slowly starting to unravel, um, psychologically. And his, um, his hallucinations start to rub off on his wife. And so she starts to become um, a little unhinged. So I don't know. There there was a lot of that that I was thinking about while writing uh, Lilith. I kept that movie, just the tone of that film in the back of my mind. Mm -hmm. Um, And there again, I would not consider Hour of the Wolf a straight up horror film. Um, It's very psychological um, it's very sad. Um, I definitely had my influences, but I feel like a lot of growth happened while I was making this film that um, my own style and my own voice. I mean, I'm still learning. I'm still honing that. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is just the beginning, really. I don't claim to be an expert on any of this, but um, but yeah, like it, it uh and just the fact that it, the people who have seen it at festivals, there have been some polarized responses, but the people who get it, like really, really get it. And they come up to me and they share their own experiences with me regarding grief and what they've been through. And it's just a really good conversation starter that way. And I'm really, I really appreciate that because, you know, at the end of the day, I did this film for me, but, you know, I made it for me, but, um, to see other people sort of gravitate to it and 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 um, just sort of respond to it in the way that some people have, it really means a lot. Sure. And, and I guess, you know, the way that, you know, everybody grieves differently. And, you know, I'm sure the, the way that the movie comes out, people probably said, you know, I've probably felt like Lilith did at some point during this movie, the way that you know, feel like the walls are caving in and then, and, and things just aren't right. And there's, there's no balance in the world. Yeah. I, I, I've had people come up and express similar things to me like that. And every time, every opportunity like that is just, you know, it's, you can reach out to someone and, and offer a kind word. Maybe they're, maybe they're still going through something. I mean, I'm never going to get over the grief that I've experienced it mm-hmm. as I, as I've experienced it. Like it's, it's gotten better over time, but the 28th and the 30th of October are always going to be very sad days for me because those are the days that I lost my loved ones uh, mm-hmm. to suicide. And it's just uh, as someone who also has struggled with depression his whole life, it's just in a way, and I've always said this to people when it's come up, but like, I believe that grief is, you know, both a blessing and a curse because when you grieve, you know, whoever you're grieving at that moment in your grief, they are there with you. 
because you can feel their presence. And grief sort of tethers your loved ones to you. Now, over time, that hurt becomes less and less, um, but it'll never go away. And that's okay. Um, And so in in the making of this film, as I was editing it and trying to find, um, you know, because my screenplay, the way that I see my screenplay, it's just a template of what I really want to do, because the way the script to Lilith looks is nothing like the movie. So I just sort of took it and shaped it. And as I was doing that, as I was editing, um, it, it, it just sort of helped me to process my own grief in a different way and to sort of project it on this. And it was, it was, it was very healthy for me to do it that way. Um, I'm not out of the woods yet, but I'm, I'm better. Okay. And, uh, that, that, that's important. And yeah. And it's a process. Like it, everybody says, you know, it's, it, it's just one step at a time. And, you know, the, these were people that were part of your lives and they were important. And, you know, there, there's you there to remember them. And we choose to remember lost ones in our own way. Exactly. And it was, it was just beautiful the way that, you know, at, at, at the end of the day, the way that this whole thing came together and the fact that the film ends the way that it does to me, it's just the best kind of closure that we can give that character at this Mm -hmm. time in her life. Um, And then the original song that Brittany wrote for the film that plays over the end credits. Right. uh, She came to me one day with those lyrics and um, just, just taking, I guess, ideas and inspiration from the script and adding her own spin to it. And it's like, I knew I was like, she was totally inside that character at that moment because the song just turned out to be so beautiful. And we mm-hmm. named it Elegy for Lilith. Right. And uh, she wrote that. That I had nothing to do with that. That was all Brittany Renee and her talent and her husband, Michael, and um, our friend, Seth, and uh, our friend, Seth and Caleb. They sort of helped her to hone it and shape it, but she was the mastermind behind that one. And, uh, you know, it just added, it just made the whole experience that much more memorable and special that she wrote that song, you know, sort of on the sidelines and then brought it out. And I was like, whoa, you know, so I couldn't have asked for a better first feature film experience. Yeah. Yeah. Everything definitely fell into place for you. Yes, sir. You've referenced the uh, film festivals now, and you, you've actually won some awards at these festivals. Tell, tell me a little bit about the film festival experience. I mean, obviously, it's different than going to a major studio and pitching a movie. This is where you, you're really subjecting it to, to a lot of instant judgment almost. Yeah, it's, it's really intense. But um, so far, I've quite enjoyed our festival experience, which has largely been around uh, more regional and local film festivals now at times it's played they've played you know around the world um i know if you played in uh the uk and um um lilith played in um chicago and you know a few other places but um i think i think texas so uh but yeah we've won the first festival that we got into is the Tryon International Film Festival in Tryon, North Carolina. And pretty much everything that I've made uh, has 
gone to that festival. They're really, really good to me and they really like our work. And um, that is where Lilith premiered. It premiered at the Tryon International Film Festival, um, which is headed up by a man named Bo Manatra. And he he just knows his stuff. And it's one of the, it's, I consider it to be like the Sundance around here of, of the su- Sundance of the Carolinas because mm-hmm. um, they're so, they're just wonderful. And then uh, it's, it uh, won best regional feature at, um, at the Stranger Days International Film Festival in North Carolina. We won best regional feature there. And then um, we won best feature at Spring Lane Film Festival in Sanford, North Carolina. Um, and I'm telling you, uh, when Jared Campbell came up to me, the, the, um, the particular founder of that festival, he came up to me and gave me that certificate that said that we won best feature at Spring Lane. And I was like, we've got two awards for best feature. Oh my gosh. How did this happen? And then Brittany recently won uh, best actress award at a um, film festival at Berkeley Springs, West Virginia. Uh, wow. film festival so i was so happy when when britney won you know it, it just meant the world to me that um but uh all together lilith has played at, uh about 14 festivals wow 14 festivals it's been officially selected so it's a pretty big deal i mean sure. it's it's really hard for a feature film to get into a film festival now that's I heard that from a few people before I ever submitted my first feature to the festival circuit um, because they take up more space on the the timeline. Right. And, you know, so festival judges are going to be a little extra picky. And just the fact that we've, you know, experienced just this little bit of success has been wonderful. And, um, you know, it, it just... Because there are sequences in Lilith that are very experimental. <laughs> um, there's a dream sequence in the middle of the film that uh, is really trippy. Um, and I, I, I was really concerned about how that was going to play with certain audiences. Because uh-huh. um, it is, it's just really, really, really trippy. And I stayed up till like 2 o'clock in the morning with... Uh, one of my best friends, Bradley, and we edited that sequence together. And when we got through editing that, I was like, ah, <laughs> people are either going to stick around or get up and walk out during this sequence. So we'll see how that goes. But yeah, we've been we've been really lucky with the festival circuit. And it's it's scary putting yourself out there like that, because it is like you said, it's instantaneous judgment. And there was a time in my life when I didn't handle that so well. And, you know, but if you're going to be doing this kind of work and putting yourself out there, you have to go into it knowing that you did the best that you possibly could with what you had. Mm -hmm. And you have to know that you did it because you had to do it because that's, you know, kind of the way that I look at any artistic endeavor um, that really comes from the heart. You know, you do it because you want to. and I mean, people are going to have opinions. People are going to, there are people that are going to hate it. You know, there are we have had some negative reviews, but we've had some really good, really good ones. Um, and we've been really blessed. And so I would tell people, if you're kind of hesitant to put your little movie out there to the festival circuit, just do it. 
the the worst thing that could happen is for somebody to say no, and they will. They will say no many, many times. Um, but every time you get into one of these festivals, no matter how big or small, people, you, your film is playing in front of, you know, many, many eyes. Right. And um, it just may resonate with somebody or a few people. And, and that makes it worth it. And just, you know, and also the festival experience is really good for just building community and getting to know other filmmakers. And you may meet someone that you have kindred spirits with and, and you know, build your film family. And so it's it's been great. I've really enjoyed it. <laughs> And I'm just surprised because, you know, this little film, we, we tallied up what the budget was. It is, it's like $3,000. Okay. We didn't have a budget going into it. We were just like, okay, let's just add some stuff up and, and try to figure out what our budget, you know, was. And it turned out to be right around $3,000. And for that, for, for this little movie to go off the way that it has, it's it's not like it it's not like Sundance or anything, but it's I'm telling you, it's I'm just surprised by it every day. You know, uh, you'd actually be the perfect person to ask this question. Uh, throughout the season, particularly of of my podcast, I've gotten to talk to a lot of really big movie buffs, and I, I get a lot of the same kind of consensus from them that you know the only movies that you're really seeing in theaters are you know the superhero movies or the you know the the, the sci-fi sequels you know because the things that are like big budget and you know you, you don't really see uh, small films or anything like that they you know the the studios want these big things with lavish productions or you know blockbuster budgets and hopefully you know they they're, they're going to fill the seats in that theater do you think that uh movies going into festivals like festivals could probably eventually play like a hand in like how the public gets exposed to more movies that aren't like that i think the festival circuit is a wonderful um platform for those kinds of movies for mm -hmm. smaller films um just because there are people out there who you know some people just will go to a, a small town film festival just because you know they're curious and they have nothing else to do they'll sit down and start watching some some films that will really shake them up and, and, you know, just films that really move them and, you know, get them to think a little bit, ask some tough questions. Um, and those are the kind of films that I have always loved are just the ones that I have to wrestle with the ones that are not the easiest to sit through sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do think that there is an overabundance of, superhero movies yeah i mean and they have their place but right. it just, i don't know i i feel i do not believe that cinema is dead in any way shape or form there are plenty of great films smaller films that are coming out and um make a huge impact but um i would like to see more independent um films uh get the get the recognition that some of these bigger these bigger uh marvel movies are getting you know i think my favorite era of filmmaking uh will always be the 70s right because the directors then had such freedom to sort of do whatever the hell they wanted to do and they just it seemed like they had carte blanche to do you know some of the best films that have ever been made and those were the films that audiences were going to back in the day, like Taxi Driver and, you know, um, 
uh, oh god, what else? Just the um, Easy Rider, like so many classic indie films. Those were the films that were bringing in the big bucks, and then you know the blockbuster craze happened, and you know the rest is history. Now I'm not saying that those big movies don't have any merit. I love Jaws just as much as anybody else, and some of these big popcorn films are fun, you know. But um, you know, I don't know that they'll ever truly be as important to me as some of the smaller films the smaller indies and the foreign films and those films mean so much to me um just because of what they say and just how innovative they are and you know the freedom that those films have to explore an array of so many different topics of about humanity and and just these brilliant character studies like that's what i want to spend my time watching and I understand that's not it, and that's not for everybody, but I definitely would like to see some balance there. Right. I mean, you can really have movies that entertain you through and through and movies that speak to you and they don't necessarily have to be one and the same. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you, you have films that are uh, that are huge budget films that actually have some interesting things to say. And, you know, so you can have that, you know, but. I don't know. I just, I I would love to see like a small, you know, intimate, controversial character study like Rock the Box Office or something like that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That would make me very, very happy. (laughs) Um, But we'll see. I'm not going to, you know, hold my breath. Okay. I I don't know if this is going to help me segue into my next question. (laughs) But now you, you said you are actually, you're writing something right now. There's no no filming yet or anything like There's that. There's no filming yet. Uh, right now, I'm kind of like fighting through a little bit of writer's block, but I've definitely got some ideas jotted down, and I have actually started working on this, the outline for a screenplay, and it's called um, Judith Julian, and it's about a um, an experimental avant-garde uh, theatrical troupe in the 1970s that uh, get up to some interesting shenanigans. So hmm. I'm hoping <laughs> I'm hoping to stir the pot a little bit with this one. <laughs> I'm kind of using the the theater as sort of a backdrop to to poke some fingers at the evangelical culture. So I know me living in the Bible Belt, that's gonna piss some people off. <laughs> so I'm re- I'm really looking forward to that. So I'll, I'll pretend I don't know you. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So if, if people want to check out your movies, uh, is, is there any place they can go? I know a lot of the stuff is indie and, you know, doing on the streaming services or anything like that. Lilith is still on the festival circuit and we'll be hopefully um, seeking some distribution for that one soon. But the short films you can find on um, YouTube at uh, Stephen Adam Rinkovich, R-E-N-K-O-V-I-S-H. Uh, you can find that on YouTube or Vimeo. So those you can find there. Um, but yeah, when Lilith, um, when we fi- hopefully I'm hoping and praying that we find some distribution or I'll just have to self-distribute it. So, but we'll, I'll get it out there and I'll definitely give you an update. The, the, you, you can definitely find the shorts at YouTube or Vimeo. And, I and you also you- have a website as well, right? Yeah, I have a, a website where I do film critiques. Um, one, I have two actually. One is, realrinkovich.com which is r-e-e-l rinkovich.com and then halloween retro 101 where i talk about all my favorite uh i write about um 
horror films and Halloween themed, um, uh, just a bunch of Halloween themed stuff on that on that particular page. Um, I haven't really tinkered with that one in a while. I've just been so busy, you know, with Lilith that I've kind of I've kind of put um, my film reviews by the wayside just so I could focus on that. But I do have those two sites. Okay. And um, but yeah, I don't have like an official Stephen Adam Rinkovich website yeah i suppose at some point i'll end up having to do that but i have an imdb for what it's worth (laughs) so people can keep track of the film projects there if they would like um or follow me on facebook and instagram because i post this stuff all the time is it under under your name or stephen adam rinkovich on facebook and also on instagram i think instagram is stephen underscore adam underscore rinkovich yeah they like the underscores there yes they do (laughs) so um but yeah you can also i would say the best bet would be to reach me on facebook or instagram because i'm you know i do post a lot of updates about my film journey on there so, well, there you have it. We got to know Stephen Adam Rinkovich. Stephen, thank you so much for hanging out and uh, filling us in on a little bit of behind the scenes on your movies. Thank you so much for allowing me to come on here and be a part of this. It means the world. I can't wait to I can't wait to uh, share this with my with my film family. Be a rebel. Follow the show at Share Pollution on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Thanks so much to Stephen for coming by the Sherpa Screening Room. And if you are enjoying this show, you know what you can do? If you could head on over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and give me a nice review and let other people know about the Sherpalution. You can follow the show on social media, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Just by the word Sherpalution, S-H-E-R-P-A-L-U-T-I-O-N. And that's also the name of my website, Sherpalution.com. See, I didn't sing it this time you thankful yes of course well lord mr bruce i think we are done for this week we've got one more show for season nine and it is our season finale i'm really looking forward to it it is with model and actress and so much more sherry nelson probably one of the nicest people you're ever gonna know on the internet and in real life of course that's next week and we hope that you enjoy and we are on podcast apps everywhere and SharpAllusion.com. Check it out, folks. Lots of fun stuff going on over there. So until then, I say to you all, Viva la Sharpolution. Thanks for listening to the Sherpa Screening Room. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast. I'm Mr. Bruce, and this has been a Sherpa Loose Studios production. Viva la Sharpolution.